All right, good morning. Uh, welcome to everybody here at our main campus. Welcome uh, to you guys that are joining us online. Real quick before we get started, so Baptism Sunday is coming up on September 18th. So if you want to get baptized, because people have asked us this question, like, how do you know if, you know if I should get baptized or not baptized? And they kind of go through this, you know, should I or should I not? So here's what I tell people all the time. If you feel the prompting to get baptized, get baptized. Don't excuse it away. Don't be like, well, I don't know. I was baptized, you know, when I was younger. If you feel a prompting, you need to get baptized, right? So don't wait. Um, make sure that you get signed up because, again, we want to make sure that uh, for each one of us, if we feel like God wants us to be baptized, that we go ahead and do it. Don't worry about, again, the video because some people are like, well, I don't want to do a video. And, I don't, again, I don't know if the timing's going to work and I don't know this or that. Just be obedient and let God work out the rest of it. So if you want to get baptized, you can sign up a couple different ways. We already have 12 people signed up for Baptism Sunday, so we're really excited about that. Um, if you want to sign up so you can get on our apps, we always tell people if you want to know what's going on at Life Church, get the app, right? Because the app tells you everything we're doing. It gives you notifications on the things that we're doing so you can keep track of what's happening at Life Church. You can go on the app. You can sign up to be able to get baptized. If you don't have the app, you should get it. But if you don't have the app today and you want to sign up, you can go on our website. That's another way uh, to be able to sign up. And worst case scenario, you feel the prompting today. You don't have either one of those things or don't know how to get there. Fill out a connecting card. You can grab it, fill it out, put it in the box when you leave, and somebody will be getting with you uh, when it comes to Baptism Sunday. The other part of it is, is that the weird thing about um, baptism or special services, like this is always what I thought the weird thing about church is. Like if there's a special service, people sometimes tend not to come if it has nothing to do with them. So like if they hear the kids are gonna be here, they're like, oh, that's a Sunday, I'm not coming because it's not normal. And I'm always like, you gotta be smacked. Like, why would you not come? I mean, this is the, these are your kids. This is the future. Why wouldn't you celebrate just because it's not normal? Like, that's craziness. And the same, we've had this with people that have come for a really long time. They're like, oh, it's baptism Sunday. It's not the normal thing. I'm not gonna get up and there's not gonna be a message. I'm, and listen, the stories of other people are way better messages than I'll ever prepare, right? Like the stories of life change. Because this is what we want people to see. I always thought this was weird growing up. So I grew up in a church, you know, and again, I wasn't a believer. So this was, I mean, I wasn't a believer, but I still went to church, you know, for 20 some years of my life before I gave my life to Christ. And in those times, this is what's crazy. I never once saw somebody get baptized. 20 some years, didn't see anybody get baptized. And you know what? that told a person like me who was trying to figure out religion and faith that it's just dead. Nothing ever changes. Anybody ever grow up like that? It's like you go to church, repeat the cycle. You never hear of any lives change. You just keep going and, you know, people, you know, are going through the, the motions, but nothing really ever changes in their lives. Baptism Sunday and the stories about life change is to remind you of something. God is alive and he's still changing the hearts of mankind. Like he's transforming the lives of people. Those stories are to remind you that that's happening. Not only in your own life, because sometimes we forget about those things, but to be reminded to help other people be aware. God's still on the move and he's still changing lives and great things are happening. So don't miss the service. Be a part of it. If you want to get baptized, don't try to excuse it away. Sign up. Listen to the prompting. 
Okay, Revelations. Did you ever think we were gonna come to an end? (laughs) This is the last three weeks. The last three weeks of our Revelation series. So I'm gonna give you a preview. So we're kind of coming to the end and the coming to the end is kind of the culmination of everything that's been happening. But we're gonna talk about final judgment. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. Like last week in Revelation 14, we talked about hell and like there's a reality of hell and lots of people are going there and we need to do something about it and what that kind of looks like. We're going to talk about final judgment. So what it looks like, the great white throne. That's what we're going to talk about today. The great white throne judgment. It's for unbelievers, right? And what the unbelievers will face when it comes to that. Next week, we're going to be talking about what happens the minute after you die. You ever wonder that? Like what happens to a person right after they die? Like what is it going to be like? What did our loved ones go through? How is it going to look? And we're gonna talk a little bit about it today in a brief piece because the great white throne is for unbelievers, but the Bema seat of Christ is for those who are believers. You know, and so what's gonna happen at the Bema seat and how are we going to, you know, again, come in front of God and what is it gonna look like at that time? Then the last week, this is how we're uh, ending Revelation. So he says in Revelation 20 and 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth, right? And that, that we're going to spend eternity as believers on the new heaven and a new earth. Do you ever wonder what that's gonna be like? Like, do you ever wonder, are you gonna know, like, are you gonna recognize somebody? Like, so for somebody who died a long time ago, are you gonna go up to heaven and you're gonna be like, hey, it's grandma, it's grandpa, it's someone died as a child and now they're grown up, or am I, if I'm in heaven, if somebody dies as a child, are they a child? And then do you help them grow up into heaven or do they just always stay a baby? You know, or are you gonna know each other and what does it look like if you're married? You know, how will that relationship be whenever you're in heaven? You know, are you still gonna be married or not gonna be married? Or will you know that person any different than anybody else? Like, do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder what you'll do? Do you ever wonder if you're gonna eat? I mean, that was something I thought about. Like, I mean, it's like, is there going to be food? Like, do you sit around a table? Like, I mean, what does that look like? You know, all of those questions. And I think to the best of our ability, this is what we're going to do based upon the lens of Scripture, because none of us has been there, right? Based upon the lens of Scripture, what's heaven like? And what will it be like? And how are you going to spend Eternity. So that'll be the last three weeks of the Revelation series, and then we'll move on from there. But here's what I hope. I want to go clear back to the beginning, to the revelations, uh, the beginning of Revelations and help you understand what's trying to get done in the book of Revelation, because this is really important. So if you see in in the book of Revelations through this lens, right, because I think this is the lens you need to start with, the most important thing to God is relationship. Okay, you have to start with that. You have to start with the number one thing that God's trying to restore from the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned, right? And when Adam and Eve sinned, all of the rest of history is to restore a relationship with him, right? That's all that he wants. He wants to do everything possible to bring people into relationship with him. He's slow to anger. He's slow to get to this point because now we're at the point where there is no second chances, Right? But up until this point, he's like, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to warn you what the most important thing is, which is relationship, right? And being in relationship with him. So if you look at the lens of scripture, being in relationship with him is the most important thing. So when you look at the book of Revelation clear from the beginning, right? Here's what you're going to see. Clear back to the beginning, he's focused on that. Do you remember the seven churches that he wrote to? 
right? In the seven churches, he wrote to them and he said, here's some things you're doing good, but guess what's happened? You've drifted away from me, relationship, right? So you've drifted away from a relationship. And so God says, I'm going to warn you, right? So this is the warning to the church. You need to change the way you do your life. Or there's going to be judgment. And why would God judge or correct his people? Remember what the most important thing is? We said it in the beginning. Relationship, right? So he wants to bring you back to a relationship. So the seven churches, you know, were to bring people back into relationship with him. Judgment through the book of Revelations. Although if you're reading it, it seems kind of harsh, right? People are dying, people are slaughtered. You know, all kinds of plagues are happening, crazy things are going on. Why is judgment happening to the people on the earth at that time? To bring them into Come on, you can keep going. So 11 o'clock, you're supposed to be better than 9.30. <laughs> 9 o'clock, they're like, mm. you know, like, you guys are usually more engaged, right? So bring back to relationships. So it's an important part of understanding the book of Revelation because sometimes we look at judgment and we just say, why does earthly judgment happen? You know, while God's punishing his people. He's not punishing his people. He's trying to bring them back. Or he's trying to bring them to them, right? So all of the judgments that are happening, God, up until this time, is earthly judgments for the purpose of bringing people to him or bringing people back. Does that make sense? So now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to understand earthly judgment first. So we're gonna talk about that. And then we're gonna talk about final judgment. That's gonna be in Revelation 20. So earthly judgment so that you can understand how you differentiate the difference between earthly judgment and final judgment. And we can understand how it works in our own lives. And so we can see how that goes. Then we're gonna look at final judgment, which is you don't get another chance. Like the, your eternity's set. And now we're gonna look at the judge that's going to be judging you on how and where you're going to be spending eternity. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at earthly judgment for a second. And let's talk about it. So earthly judgment is for two reasons. And we need to remember this. So the greatest sin, and if you look at it in your own life, you'll understand it's the greatest sin of all people that leads to other sin, okay, is that you want to be God. Does that make sense? So if you look at your life, the decisions you make, if you are an unbeliever, the reason that you don't believe in God or believe in Jesus is because you're fine being the God of your life, Right? Or any time that we sin, we sin because we want to play God. Does that make sense, right? Like you've decided God said to do this because remember, sin is determined by a plumb line or sin is, sin is determined by uh, uh, a measurement that comes from scripture, right? Like how do we know what sin is? If scripture says it's sin, it's Sin, right? Like we have that plumb line. We have that thing in our lives. And so when judgment comes, it comes because we are sinning, right? But sin comes out of the idea of we want to play God, okay? So let's look at it in the life of an unbeliever. Why does earthly judgment happen? Because this happens, or correction. Because I want you to understand that God is a God who's pursuing you even though you don't believe in him right now. 
So if you're in this room or you have loved ones that are not in this room, here's what you need to be praying for is, is that they will see that God is pursuing them, right? Because God is gonna pursue them and, and he says this, right? If they would just turn around that he would accept them regardless of what they've done in their life, right? That's the kind of God that we serve. But he is pursuing them and here's what's going to happen, right? This is what you're gonna see in the life of an unbeliever. And I'm speaking from, you know, experience in this before as I'm a believer. So as an unbeliever, you set up a host of gods, right? Things that you count on, right? Your money, your time, your relationships, your, right? You just set them up. They're the God of your life, right? You depend upon them for security, right? To come through for you. So that's, that's what happens. People who are made to worship, that's how you were created, before you accept Jesus will worship other gods, does that make sense? So you'll just do it. So I worship the God of money, the time, relationships, whatever those things are, sports. I mean, you could just put it in a line. And here's how God pursues or corrects on this earth. So here's what he starts to do. He wants you to believe in the one true God. So part of correction or judgment is to start removing those things that you're putting your trust in. Anybody ever been there before you were a believer? Like you put all of your trust in and then all of a sudden it all went away? And you're like, what the world? Why is God punishing me? I can't figure it out and what's going on? And, and I want you to understand this. God cares way more about your eternity than your earthly comfort. So if he has to take away things in your life to wake you up, he's taking it away. Because he knows, you know what he knows that you don't? He knows what a Christless eternity looks like in hell. And he loves you enough to do something about it. So if it means removing those things that have become gods in your life and it causes you pain on this earth, he's like, listen, you have no idea what pain and punishment is. If I have to take it away here, way better to take it away here than it is when you don't have a chance again, right? Do you see how that works? So with unbelievers, this is what he's saying. I'm gonna start taking away, I'm gonna start taking away. So if you're in this room today and you're like, wow, I just can't believe these things are going on in my life and I don't know, and it feels like life's falling apart. Here's what I want you to look at. Not that life's falling apart, but who's trying to get your attention, okay? Who's trying to get your attention today? Don't get so focused on that you don't have anymore and that this is falling away and that I don't have this. It's like, who's trying to get my attention? Who wants me to be turn and face him? Because here's what's so great about a loving, graceful God. You know what's so great about it? You could be walking away from him, spitting on him, doing whatever he wants you to do, but you know what happens when you turn around and face him? He welcomes you in with loving arms. Isn't that crazy? Like you wouldn't care at all about him, but when you turn and face him, he's like, come back, I love you, right? So earthly judgment for an unbeliever, right, is something that will bring you to a relationship with God. Now, how about as a Christian? Christians have earthly judgment? Like is there judgment on this earth, you know, for people? Here's what we need to recognize is that Maybe you've never been here, but I've been at this place. You give your life to Jesus Christ. Have you ever found yourself wandering? Anybody? Not like you find yourself wandering and you're not on the right path. You're not at the place where you need to be. All of a sudden, you know, God has been the God of your life, but all of a sudden you've kind of forgot and you've reinserted some other gods. Anybody? Right, like you put some other things in that place and you kind of went away. And remember, the most important thing, you're gonna hear this a thousand times in this message, the most important thing to God is what? Relationship. Relationship. So if it takes, 
removing something that you've made as God in your life. And you're feeling like, oh my gosh, it's so hard, it's so painful, and I don't know, I'm a follower of God, but he took these things away. Listen, (laughs) if that thing is hindering a relationship with him, get ready, it's going away. I'll give you an example. So in the nation of Israel, here's what we know about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel loved God and wandered. You know what he always did? He brought judgment or correction. Okay, if you're wandering away, I'll take what you need the most, your water, your food, your, you know what I mean? Like you started a judgment until they would wake up, right? Do you remember when Taylor talked about the Shema a long time ago? So in the Old Testament, you know, in Israel, they would say the Shema. I love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. The Lord is God and he is one. He is our only God. Like that's part of the Shema. So he would, the nation of Israel had to get to the point where they were reminded they wanted to be God, but they had to be reminded God is the only God of my life. But sometimes it took drought. Sometimes it took famine. Sometimes it took people dying. Sometimes it took the removal of everything that they put their trust in for them finally to turn to God and say, oh yeah, I forgot, you are the one true God. I thought about this in my own story, you know, just to kind of give you a correlation to how this works. So I'll make it short, but when I gave my life to Christ in my 20s, weird, at least I thought was weird, as somebody that grew up in church, didn't care that much about church, honestly didn't even like church that much, you know, as soon as I gave my life to Christ, I had this feeling whether it was God speaking to me, whether it was a feeling, I don't know what it is, but he said, I want you to be in full-time ministry. And I'm like, no way. And, I, and, and here's why. Like, I want you to be a pastor. That's what I heard him say. I want you to be a pastor. And I'm like, ain't no way I'm being a pastor. And you know why? Because I looked at pastors and I'm like, there ain't no way I want to be that. Right? Like, ain't no way that that's the life that I want. And you know what's funny is, is I had this list. You know why I didn't want to be a pastor? Because every single pastor seemed poor, and I didn't want to be poor. Right? Like, I don't want to be poor. Like, they're always, like, living in somebody else's house, you know, that the church provides. And anytime they want something, they have to ask the church for it. You know what I mean? Like, they go through that rigmarole, and again, it's like, sacrifice for the Lord. The pastor shouldn't get paid anything. It was always funny about the church. We had these arguments at the church that I grew up in, like they had a parsonage. So anybody have heard like a, like a church for the past or a house for the pastor? And so they were getting ready to remodel it. And you said, you'd have all these people on the board. And I was on this committee where they were going to remodel the house. And so they were putting all these things together and they were going to put um, oak cabinets, just nice oak cabinets in the, in the pastor's house. And I mean, these people are like, he doesn't need those. Why would he need those? I don't have those, you know. And the other person that they argue back and forth, you don't want to give the pastor anything more than what you got, right? Like that would be a terrible thing if all of a sudden the pastor actually had something in his life and didn't have to worry about money. We don't ever want that to happen, right? So I'm like, I ain't doing that crap, right? You know, the other thing that I thought, when I looked at pastor's kids, they were crazy, Like, if you ever look at pastor's kids, like, they were the kids jumping off the balcony and sneaking into places they shouldn't, and you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want my kids to be crazy. Is that like a God thing? Every time you come and pastor, your kids get crazy, you know? And so I didn't want that. And then the other part of it was is that here's what I saw for all of my life, not just in one pastor, but multiple pastors. They all fell into sexual sin. 
sleeping with choir directors or, you know, sleeping with somebody else. And I'm like, and again, even in one of the pastor's life, that said, you know what? I'm willing to give up all of my ministry for that. And I'm, this is the guy I got saved under, right? And I'm like, how does this even happen? So I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. So you know what I did? I said, I'll be the God of my life. <laughs> so you know how I said, you know, you surrender it all, but then you still have those things you wanna hold on to, anybody else? Right, so I'm like, God, I got the answer for you. You want me to be, you know, in ministry? I'll be a part-time youth pastor. Does that satisfy you? <laughs> because then I can still have a full-time job, right? Like you get his full-time job. I don't have to answer to the weird committees that make those decisions and do those things. I can still be in ministry doing what you've called me to do, but I don't have to be poor. The kids being crazy, that's kind of up in the air, you know, and, you know, we'll stay out of the rest of it, right? Like, hopefully you stay out of sexual sin. But anyway, so I go on 15 years as a part-time youth pastor, and in the midst of that, there was this discontentedness. You know, it's funny, because one of the things I said is I was trying to fix maybe one of my main focuses. I didn't want to be poor. So what was funny is when I first got out of college to be a mechanic, I worked at Swartz Ford the first year that I was married as a Ford mechanic, and I made $15,000, right? And then at the time, everybody wanted to work at Zerker Tire because Zerker Tire at the time, they had all these benefits, and it's a company that in a small town who wanted to work there. So I got on, worked in the warehouse for a year, you know, throwing tires around so that I could someday get in there, became a mechanic, you know, and, and in all of these is pay increases, right? And I'm thinking all these things are going good. Then I finally got to the place where I was a mechanic, making good money. Then I got the opportunity to design this new service facility and become the manager and make more money than I've ever made in my entire life. And you know what's funny about that? I made more money in my entire life, but I was as poor as I was when I made $15,000. Anybody? You know what I mean? Like you're chasing this, like if I could just make and if I could just have and if I just get to this certain point and you chase it all and then you get there and you're like, well, that sucks. You know, this is a whole lot harder than it was when I was making $15,000 and you're just chasing it and you're chasing it and you're chasing it. And again, you know what I think God wanted me to realize, you know, when I was talking about what does God do to remind us, to bring us back to him? What was the God of my life? Money. What did he do? Reminded me, right? So here's funny. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go into full-time ministry then, God. Money's not important. I'm gonna sell it all, right? And so I'm thinking, God, you finally got your way. You got me, I'm in. We sold everything we owned. We're gonna move to Huntington. We're gonna plant a church. Now here's the funny thing, right? But I'm gonna keep $40,000 for the just in case. You know, I'm thinking I've worked my whole life for all of this. I'm going to keep the $40,000. If I keep the $40,000, you know, you don't know how the church is going to go, you know, and you don't know how this is all going to happen. And I mean, it's just 40 grand. It don't, isn't that wise financial stewardship? Put a little money back. Make sure you have something to fall back on. Nobody wants to be without. The first three months of planning the church, $40,000 gone. And not only gone, the church that was helping us plant now left and I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> you wonder what God will do to get your attention sometimes. If you're, that, here's what I want you to see when it comes to earthly judgment. What was the most important thing to God at the time? My money or my relationship? He didn't care about money. 
I'm not talking to you, Siri. What did that happen? <laughs> Here's what I found on the web about what? <laughs> Oops. Sorry. But you see what I'm saying, right? The most important, God recognized something about me that maybe I didn't recognize that even though I thought that I sacrificed it all, there was still a God in my life that needed to be removed. And so if he had to take it away, judgment or correction, that's going to happen on this earth. If you are a believer and there are things that are in front of God, don't be surprised when he eliminates them. Don't be surprised when he takes them away. Don't be surprised that it goes away. And don't be mad when he says, when that happens, because you know why? He knows that if these things keep going in your life, you're going to miss the most important thing with his relationship with him. So instead of being upset, this is what I had to learn. So instead of being upset that he took the whole security blanket away from me, instead of being upset of God, why? I, I'm faithful, I did everything, why would you do this? Instead of asking why, I've just looked at him and said, listen, I'm not gonna ask why anymore, I'm just gonna keep pushing into you. I know that you love me, I know that you said that you're gonna take care of me, so at the end of the day, I'm gonna finally put my faith into action because I don't have anything to fall back on. There is no other choice. You know, and maybe that's what I needed in my life. Maybe in my life I didn't need, I couldn't have another option because if I had another option, I was always gonna go back to it. So earthly judgment, remember what it's for. If you are a non-believer today, this is what God's trying to, if you're somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, he's trying to get your attention by removing the gods of your life. If you are a, to be in relationship with him, if you are a believer and you have strayed away and he's starting to remove some of those things in your life, instead of being upset about it, maybe you should look and ask yourself why. Are they gods that are in the wrong place, right? Because there's nothing wrong with money and there's nothing wrong with any of these things, only when they replace God, amen, right? To anybody, right, like when they're in the wrong place. Here's what we're gonna look at today. So that was earthly judgment. Does that make sense? So in Revelation, this is what we've been looking at. God is patient, God is kind, and God is gracious, and so he's doing everything possible to wake up his people before it's too late. Because when we get to final judgment, you don't get a second chance. Like, you don't get to get up there and plead your case. Like, you don't get to get up there and be like, well, can I have a second chance or can I do something different? Final judgment is I tried to wake you up throughout the whole time here on earth, but you chose not to wake up, you chose not to see. Now we're gonna get to final judgment and final judgment is set where you're gonna spend eternity and how you're gonna spend eternity and you don't get a second chance. Does that make sense? So understand that while you're still on this earth, the things that are happening on this earth are for one reason, to bring you in relationship with him. If you're not in a relationship with him, it's to bring you to him by removing whatever you need. If you are in a relationship with him but you've wandered, he's gonna remove some things to bring you back because the most important thing is relationship. Now, how do we know? Because you can't change this and we gotta make sure that we understand this because otherwise judgment and relationship will never make sense. How do we judge or what is the plumb line on whether we are sinners falling short of the glory of God? How do we know? Scripture. That's the only way you know. And here's what I wanna tell you because this is a huge problem in our culture today. People have taken Scripture and watered it down because they can't ever meet the standards in which God puts in place. 
But like that's happening today. So God says, like, this is what you need. Like God says you need to be generous with your money. Like use money as an example. You need to be generous with your money, right? And we just water it down to say, well, I mean, God just wants us to give. No, God wants you to be generous. Why does he want you to be generous? Because then again, it takes the ability for you to control it because when you're generous, then you gotta have faith. When it's a budget line item, what faith do you need? It's like making your car payment. Anybody? Right? Like it just becomes a car payment. It's not really faith. It's just like I did a religious duty. When he asks you for your time, when he asks you whatever those things are, he's doing it. Scripture is doing it so that you can recognize you are falling short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. And if we reduce it, here's the problem. If you reduce it, you will never need, never have the need for a savior. And someday when you are standing in front of the great white throne, which we're gonna see in a little bit, you're gonna plead your case and you're gonna be like, but I did and I did and I did and I went to church and I did all these things. And they're like, that wasn't the standard. The standard was this and you didn't follow it. Right? Like you don't get to water it down. You don't get to change it. Scripture is the standard for what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower in Jesus Christ. And if we are not on track with those things, you will be judged to bring you to him or to bring you back. That make sense? So if you wonder why you're judged, you wonder what those things are happening, it's because we're not following what Scripture says. Okay, now Revelation 20, let's go to that. So Revelation 20 is final judgment. So I wanna make sure that we caught ourselves up. So remember in Revelation 14, we talked about hell and the demons and what it's gonna look like and, and what hell is actually going to be like. So fast forward from Revelation 14 to Revelation 20, what has happened? So again, the millennial, God has come down. Satan's been you know, put away for a while. There's this millennial reign where God reigns with his people. Satan is unleashed again. The battle of Armageddon happens, maybe the most famous part about the book of Revelation that everybody hears about. The battle of Armageddon happens, but what's weird is it's not even really a battle because Jesus comes on a white horse with blood dripped on his, on his robe. And in a word, he destroys everybody. Isn't that cool? Like, it's not even really a battle. He just comes out, and it's not like, you know, you would think as a battle, like, who's going to win, and there's this huge struggle. He comes riding down, and he's like, through the words of his mouth, he's like, all of these sinners are condemned, and they're all done, so it's over. Now, we're to Revelation 20. Now, there is no second chance. Leading up to this, every single judgment was do you see you need a God? Do you see you need a God? Do you see you need a God? Will you wake up? Here's your chance. The 144,000 are evangelizing. Jesus is the answer. For the people who have not made a decision for Jesus Christ on this earth now are going to be judged in final judgment, okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand about final judgment, okay? So what we're gonna look at today with final judgment is one, in this, it's final, obviously. You don't get to change the course of any of this. You don't get a second chance. Once you go in front of that, you are judged. And we're gonna look at the judgment of unbelievers, but here's what I want you to understand throughout all of this. The judgment of unbelievers and what they are judged for is the same as what it is for a believer, does that make sense? So you'll see it here in just a second. Here's a Revelation 20. Let's start in verse 11. So here's what he says. Then I saw a great white throne and him uh, who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. So here's what we see or here's what I want you to understand. The great white throne and somebody is seating on it, Sit it sitting on it, seated on it. Who's seated on the great white throne? Jesus. 
right? Jesus is the one sitting on the great white throne because Jesus is the judge, right? So Jesus is the judge and at the great white throne of all those who are unbelievers. So all of the unbelievers are gathered together for judgment. Now, here's the thing that we need to recognize, okay? And I think this is the thing that we miss at times in our life. Part of the deception of Satan is there is no final judgment, right? Part of the deception in Satan in our culture today is there are some people that would believe that you just live your life and die and there is no eternity. There is no accountability. Like you don't have to give an account for your life, right? Like that's part of the deception of Satan today. Part of his deception is is that you just live your life and you get to the end of your life and a lot of people that aren't believers today or don't believe in Jesus, part of the reason is, is like, I'm just gonna live here and if there is no afterlife, there is no eternity, there is no accountability for what I did on this earth, what really matters, right? Like that's where a lot of people are. You know, a lot of people have believed in that today. That's why they don't even focus on or want to be focused on Jesus because they don't believe in anything and they have like no final judgment. It's also part of the deception of Christian people Part of the deception of Christian people is is that you don't have to give an account for your life. You know what I mean? Like they have this perception that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and my sins are as far from the east to the west, anybody? And so when I stand in front of Jesus, I don't really have to look at the things that I did in my body that were bad. I only get to look at the good stuff. Those poor great white throne people, man, they got it rough. For me, I kind of skirt away from all those things and I don't have to do that. Well, here's what I want you to see. There are two judgment seats but the same thing happens at each seat, okay? The great white throne, unbelievers, right? But you know what the other seat is? The Bema seat, right? The Bema seat is where Christians or believers are judged, but listen to me when I say this. The same concept happens at both seats, okay? There is an accounting and there is a final judgment. Does that make sense? So there is a judgment and there is a final judgment. The Bema seat, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, this is to believers, so that, right, so this is back to, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done in the body, whether it's good or your life is being recorded and written down and someday you're gonna give an account for it, good and bad. Anybody looking forward to that day? Right? I mean, because I think as, un, as believers, sometimes we forget you're gonna be held accountable for the way you spent your life as a believer. There is a final judgment coming, right? And you don't get out of the fact that you're going to be judged for everything you did in the body good and all of those bad things that you thought were hidden And that when you ask for forgiveness, they just go away. Nobody's ever gonna talk about them again. And we'll clarify some of this next week when we talk about when you're at the actual Bama seat. But here's what I want you to understand. Just because you're forgiven of them does not mean that they're not recorded and that you won't give an account for them someday. I mean, let that settle in a little bit, right? Because I think some of us continue to sin because you think you just asked for forgiveness and never have to be brought up again. Nobody? Well, like you just keep going down this road because oh, I just ask for forgiveness, it just goes away. I'm never gonna have to think about it again. I'm never gonna have to be held accountable for it again. Because here's what I know about people. 
If you know that you're gonna be held accountable for something, you change what you do. If you know somebody's checking in on you, you know that somebody's gonna be like, what did you do with your time? What did you do with your money? What did you do? If somebody's gonna come back and say, hey, how did you spend today? You're gonna make sure you didn't spend today napping all day. You don't wanna be the guy like, I just slept all day. You know, are you gonna be the guy that, oh, I didn't do anything, right? Like, if you're gonna give an account, you wanna make sure that you can give the account. Wow, I did this, and I did this, and I went down these roads, and like, but sometimes we think when there's no accountability, you just get away with it. You just get to do whatever you wanna do. Well, it's being recorded. Someday you're gonna stand in front of Jesus and that record is going to be brought up and that record is going to be reviewed, right? Now, here's what you're gonna find. We're not gonna talk about it today, but for different reasons. See, in the great white throne, you're gonna see this in just a second. The reason that the record is read is different than the reason that the record is read at the Bama seat. Okay, so here's what we're gonna look at. So here's what he says. There is gonna be an accountability. The great white throne for all unbelievers, right? This is what's gonna happen, okay? So the Bema seat, Christians, gonna be judged, final accountability. But for, again, the great white throne, this is what's gonna happen at the great white throne. Here's what he says. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books, really important part of this, books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books, okay? Now, a lot of people struggle with this because I've always talked about this, but people are like, that doesn't make any sense. There's nowhere in scripture where it talks about the book of works, right? You're right. There's nowhere that says the book of works, but here's what it says. In final judgment, there's going to be two books, okay? It says the first book is going to be what? The book of life, right? Here's what's happening. So judgment is happening in the lives of people, right? So you're coming before the judge, and when you come before the judge, you have to plead your case, right? So essentially, when you come before the judge, you're at the white, great white throne. Jesus is sitting on the, on the throne, and here's what he's saying. The first thing that he looks for is he opens up the book of life. Why? Because every name written in the book of life will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So the first book that's opened is where you're going to spend eternity. How does your name get written in the book of life? Because here's what and why this happens. You see, part of the problem today, you know when I said that we reduce scripture into something that's manageable and something that you can control? See, part of the reason that you, your name might not be in the book of life today is you don't think you're a sinner. You see, if you read scripture for what it really is, here's what you're gonna recognize. You are a sinner falling short of the glory of God and that if you had to pay for your sin, right? if you had to pay for your sin, if the payment of, of you as a sinner would condemn you to hell, that's where it starts. With not reducing scripture for what it says, but understanding that scripture says, this is what sin is and I'm a sinner. And there's not, I'm a sinner. So standing in front of the judge, what are you going to say? See, those that are names written in the book of life, you're gonna see this next week when they stand at the Bama seat. You don't have a case. You can just sit there and say, you know what? I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God. And thankfully, judge, Jesus took the penalty for my sin. That's what's gonna happen. At the Bama seat, 
I'm just going to be like, I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve an eternity with Jesus. I don't deserve to be in there. But because of what Jesus did for me, my name is written in the book of life, never to be blotted out again. Why? Because he was to substitute payment for my sin. That's how your name gets written in the book of life. You know why people at the great white throne are standing there and they're paging through there and you know why their name isn't written in the book of life? Because they thought they were gonna be the God of their life forever. And that they didn't need somebody to pay for their sin. You know why they didn't need somebody to pay for their sin? Because here's what we've got people to believe today. In fact, I think this is a problem in our culture today. We've got people to believe that good people go to heaven. In fact, sometimes I think we raise our kids and I think it translates into scripture or translates into adulthood sometimes. We teach our kids is the main thing that you need to understand is just to be good because good people please other people. Anybody, right? Make your kids be, behave and make your kids do and we want these kids that are obedient and respectful but we don't teach them obedience to God. So they think as long as I'm good, as long as I'm going down that road and being good, surely God's going to accept good people. You know who those people are going to be at the great white throne? Those people who thought good people get into heaven, you know what they're going to do? They're going to be the ones, remember where scripture says they stand in front of the judgment seat and they're like, God, I want to plead my case with you. You know what I did? I went to church in your name. I did miracles in your name. I did this in your name and I did this in your name. You know why? They're pleading their case. And you know what Jesus says to them at the great white throne? I don't know you. Because what they were doing was an act of being good and not just recognizing that it was an act of obedience, right? The reason that we serve the Lord is because he was the substitutionary penalty for my sin, right? I serve him out of love and relationship, not out of duty to show you that I'm good. See, I come to church and see, I come to Bible study and see, I read my Bible and he's gonna say, who cares? The most important thing to me was relationship and you missed it. And so because you missed it, this is what's next, right? So because you missed it now, name isn't in the book of life, you're gonna be judged by the book of works. So now you're gonna spend, the book of life determines where you're gonna spend eternity. The book of works determines how you're gonna spend eternity. So now your name isn't written in the book of life. The great white throne says you're gonna spend eternity in hell. How you spend eternity in hell is gonna be determined by the book of works. Right, that's what he says. I'm gonna go through and you're gonna be judged for what you did in the body, right? And it says in scripture, some are gonna be beaten with many blows and some are gonna be beaten with few blows. It's still gonna be hell, but the degree of punishment that you're gonna get is gonna be based upon the book of works, right? And so he's gonna go through the book of works. What are you gonna be judged on? What scripture tells us we're gonna be judged on? Right, here's what I want you to see. You're gonna be judged on certain things. Now, remember, when I'm going through this, this is great white throne, they're being judged on how you're going to spend eternity in hell based upon what they're being judged for based upon scripture. Does that make sense? We still have everybody tracking? Yes, okay. So as we're looking at this, I know your tendency is to be, but I'm a believer and I'm not gonna be judged on these things. But here's what I want you to hear. This book of works, how you're gonna spend eternity in hell and what you're gonna be judged on is the same book of works that comes out for a believer and how you're going to spend eternity in heaven. The same judgment happens. Does that make sense? So when we're looking through this, I want you to also be thinking that this is something that applies to me. So what are you gonna be judged on, right? Again, it's gonna be against the law and what scripture says. The first thing you're gonna be judged on is your thoughts, 
You ever think about that? You thought those things that were rolling around up there that God didn't know or some, just because other people don't know, that stuff that's rolling around in your head, you're going to be judged for your thought life. In fact, here's what scripture says, Psalms 44, 21. Would not God have discovered it since he knows the what? Secrets of your heart. You think you have it hidden because you haven't told anybody? God knows. The one that it matters the most to because he's the one judging you. Right? He knows the secrets of your heart. Romans 2.16 says this. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Luke 8.17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. <laughs> How's that make you feel? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like all of those thoughts, all of those things that are going around, all those things you think you have hidden from the people that you love, all of those things that you haven't expressed, all of those lustful thoughts or all of those wrong thoughts or all of those like mind consumed by money, but you haven't told anybody, like all of those that are going, you think you're getting away with it, but it's being recorded and someday you'll be accountable. Now, what do you do? So if that's what's going on and you know that you're judged by your thoughts, what should you do? Okay, well, here's what scripture tells you to do. You know that thought, whatever it is that's going on, because we know that Satan wants to play with your mind and he gives you thoughts sometimes and those thoughts then lead to sin. Anybody? Like that's how it starts. It starts, starts in your thought life and then from your thought life, then it goes into action, which thought life into action is sin, right? Like that's how it starts to work. Here's what you're supposed to do. When your thought life is wrong, it says capture that thought and put it next to Truth, right? That's what it tells you to do. Capture your thought, put it next to truth. So just give you a perfect example. Like for myself, this is an ongoing struggle for me, right? An ongoing struggle for me is my thought life is there's never gonna be enough money. I'm gonna run out. Any other man have that thought? Like you gotta keep going, you gotta keep working, you gotta keep doing because if you don't keep going, you don't keep working, you don't keep doing and it's all gonna run out someday. Right? And so then it drives your actions to do things that, again, not necessarily are sinful, but are because at the end of the day, we're working so much that we're neglecting the things that we should do. Right? Anybody else? Well, like you go down that road, you do. What should I do with that thought? Capture it and put it next to truth. What does truth say? God will always take care of my needs. Right, that's what he tells you. Capture truth, capture the thought, put it next to truth. Because again, we gotta do that with our thought life because we're judged on the things that we're thinking and the things that we're doing. So that's what we need to do with that. Here's the next thing. It says that we're judged on our words, right? So not only are you judged on your thoughts, but you're also judged on your words. Matthew 12, 37 says this, for my, by your words, you'll be acquitted and your words, you will be condemned. Here's what scripture tells us, and let's make sure that we understand this. Words are like the rudder on a ship. Remember this? Words are like the rudder on a ship and the bit in a horse's mouth. Rudder being small and the bit compared to a horse is a, is a small item that can change the trajectory of the ship and can change the trajectory of a horse, right? Your words are like that, and you need to understand the words that come out of your mouth can never be taken back, and the words that come out of your mouth can change the trajectory of the person that you're speaking them to. 
okay? I always say this to um, women in marriage counseling because I don't think they know this because guys like act tough, you know, but at the end of the day, here's what I want you to hear, women. Your words can change the trajectory of your husband's life. They cut deeper than what you think. I know you just think they're words. I know you just think you're talking. I know you're just thinking they need to hear it. Any women? They just need to hear it, right? They need to hear the truth. Well, here's what I want you to understand when it comes to a man. Those words can change the trajectory of a man's heart and live a defeated life because you keep reminding him in that he's not good enough. Anybody? Like, this is just the way that it works. And I try to get them to understand. And it's also this way. You know how also it is? Encouragement of your husband can change the trajectory of his life. Like a rudder on a ship. If you want something to change, encourage him. If you want something to change, give him, you know, like he is a good man. Like there's some things he's not doing right all the time, but make sure that you remind him how good he is before you remind him what needs to change, right? The same as it is with building up the lives of your children, right? Like the words that come out of your mouth to your children, you need to understand that the words are like a rudder on a ship and it can change the trajectory of those people, those kids' lives. What you say to them, how you encourage them, what you do with them can change the trajectory of their life, right? How we talk to them, those words are really important. And we need to remember that those words will set the trajectory. And that's what he tells us, like a rudder on a ship. And you know, the other thing is, is that as Christian people, here's what you need to see. When you speak to other people, be reminded that your words also could change the trajectory of their life. I've seen way too, my, too many times where Christian people are judgmental, judgmental and critical of other people, thinking that's what's going to change their life. Amen to anybody that sat underneath a judgmental Christian person who's just pointed their fingers at you over and over and over again. And they think somehow that's going to change. Here's what I want you to see. You know what the Bible says about every person in this room and every person outside of this room? Every single person is made in the image of God, and you need to help them see Jesus. When you speak to them, speak to them in a way that says, I see Jesus in you, and I see Jesus in you. And I know that there's all these other things, but I want you to know that I see Jesus. When I speak to you, I see Jesus because that's what's going to bring Jesus out in people. The words like a rudder on a ship or the bit in the mouth can change the trajectory. Just so you know, being a person of condemnation or being a judgmental person is changing the trajectory. And you know where it's changing it to? Far away from this place and far away from you. It's what's happened in the church, unfortunately. It sure has changed the trajectory, but in a place where we don't want it to go. Here's the other thing that we're judged for. You judge for your actions, how you spend your time, right? Matthew 16, 27 says this, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done, right? Here's what we all know. You have 168 hours in a week. We've talked about this a thousand times. 168 hours in the week, we all get the same amount of time. I don't know one person in this room that you would talk to that wouldn't say I'm a busy person, right? Like you're busy. Like there's a lot of things going on, but we all get the same amount of time. But here's what I want you to understand. The majority of people in this room have six hours of discretionary time every single day. What you do with your time 
right? And how you spend your time, you're gonna be held accountable for, right? And then here's what I want you to recognize. If you don't tell your time what to do, somebody else will tell your time what to do. Does that make sense? Like if you don't plan to be intentional in the lives of other people, if you don't plan to do that in your schedule sometime during the week, I guarantee you you're not gonna do it. Because you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna run out of time, right? That's just the way it works. You're gonna run out of time. If you're not intentional, if you don't set it aside, if you don't block it out in your schedule, you're not gonna be able to do it. But just so you know, you're accountable. You're gonna be held accountable for the time that you're given. My suggestion would be is you probably should do something with your time that matters for all eternity instead of just being busy. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up. I wanna finish with this. This is the last part of the scripture. Last part of the scripture says this in verse 13, because now we've seen the great white throne. So just to be clear, we've seen the great white throne and unbelievers are gonna be judged. And at this point, there's a final judgment or a final outcome, right? They don't get a second chance. You're standing in front of their, the judge is sitting on, they pleaded their case, right? Like we know every person's gonna do, because you know every single person that stands in front of the great white throne, they're gonna plead their case of why they think they should get in. When they see the glory of God, you know, because just think about this. How many people in that line are gonna be like, yep, this is exactly where I expected to be. Standing in front of Jesus, heading into hell. How many people you think is gonna expect that? No, they're gonna be going up to them. They're gonna be like, Jesus, and you know why I deserve to be in heaven? I was good, and I did, and this, and you go through this list, and I wasn't near as badass, and you're gonna put this whole list together of your defense of why you should go into there. But when it's all over, Jesus is gonna listen to all of those things, and it's gonna be a final verdict, and that final verdict is already said. This is what's crazy. This is what's so good about a loving God and a good God who loves you. At least he tells you what the verdict is before you ever get there. It's that this isn't up in the air, right? There isn't a question of if your name isn't written in the book of life, the verdict has already been handed out. And this is the verdict. This is what he says, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead and they were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead. And uh, this is verse 13. There you go. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. The verdict. It's already said. Now here's what I want you to hear today. If you're sitting in this room and there's any question of whether your name is written in the book of life, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why wait another day with the question of I'm gonna stand up, are you just gonna take your chances? Are you just gonna take your chances that your perspective of maybe there isn't anything after eternity or maybe I'm good enough? Why take the chance? Because this is what he's saying, this is all you have to do, it's nothing special. This is what you have to admit first. To get entry into the kingdom of heaven, you have to first admit that you're a sinner, falling short of the glory of God, and that nothing you could do could ever earn your way into the favor of God. That's where it starts. You have to start with that. I don't, I deserve hell. I'm thankful 
Because when I stand in front of there, this is what you need to recognize. You need to get to the place where, you know what, I can't. I can't stand in front of a holy God. And so here's what I need to do today. I need to recognize that I'm a sinner and I need to know this. Jesus Christ died so there could be the payment of my, for my sin. And all you have to do is say, you know what? I know that I'm a sinner and I accept Jesus as the payment for my sin. And because a loving God will substitute payment for a sinner like me, I'm gonna follow him for the rest of my life. That's all you have to do. Why wait? Don't wait, right? Don't wait another day. Make that decision today. And for the rest of us, here's what I'd ask you to do. Go out this week. Take an inventory of your thought life. What are you thinking about? Where do you need to take those things that have been swirling up around out there and where do you need to capture them and put them next to truth? Where is it that your words this week, right? The words that are coming out of your mouth, how could you encourage somebody? How could you encourage your husband or your wife? Or how could you encourage your kids? How could you encourage somebody else? Because we know your words, like the rudder on a ship, could change the trajectory of somebody's life and maybe bring them to know Jesus for the first time in their life or bring them back to Jesus for the first time in their life. Right? They're off track, but your words could bring them back. And take an inventory of your time. What are you doing that makes a difference for eternity? How are you spending your time? Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, I just know that as we come to you and we um, look at this idea of judgment and what it looks like, Lord, sometimes it's hard to accept that we need it, Lord, and we're thankful that a loving God will give us a chance while we still have one. So, Lord, I pray today for the people in this room that have not yet had a relationship with you, that today they will just admit, I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God and I need you. Lord, I pray that they'll see that in their lives because you have said that you will be the payment for their sin and that we will recognize the gravity of that and they will follow you for the rest of the days of their life. Lord, I pray for all of us as believers today, knowing that you're gonna have to give an account for your life, that we'll take an inventory of our thought life, take an inventory of, of our words, take an inventory of our actions, Lord, and understand that we're here for a reason. May we be purposeful for the things that we do. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.